Hi, welcome to True Creeps, where the stories are true and the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore to the possibly plausible paranormal, to horrifying history, to tense and terrible true crime, and everything else that goes bump in the night. We're your hosts, Amanda, and I'm Lindsay, and we want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Today, we are going to discuss the Lori Vallow trial from April 13th through the 14th. And luckily, Lindsay made it back into our house safely. So on the 13th and the 14th, we heard from a few of the state's witnesses, including Melanie Gibb, Zulema Pastenas, and Detective Nathan Duncan from the Chandler Police Department in Arizona. Rather than discussing each individual testimony, we are going to discuss what we learned from each testimony in some broad categories. And the first one is who were in their inner circle. And what we learned these past two days is obviously Lori and Chad, Melanie, which was Melanie now Pulowski, Lori's niece, Melanie Gibb, which is her friend, Zulema, and Alex Cox. All the people in the inner circle were considered to be light. And we're going to talk about the difference between light and dark in a little bit. One of the things that we wanted to talk about just really quickly was a question that we had seen about the case. And it was, why aren't Lori's attorneys asking as many questions as the prosecution? And the reason is, is because right now the state is going through their witnesses, which is why when the defense questions the witnesses, it's the cross-examination. Once the state is finished questioning their witnesses, the defense will call their witnesses to question and the state will cross-examine them. As Amanda mentioned in the beginning, we're talking about some broader categories rather than just saying, this is how this testimony went, this is how that testimony went. So one of the first broad categories that we're going to talk about is Charles's death and the crime scene. And as a note, you might wonder, why are we even discussing Charles's crime scene? Because the trial that we are currently covering, that is currently happening, is for the death of Tammy, JJ, and Tylee, not Charles. That's the Arizona case that may happen one day, depending on how Lori is sentenced, if she's convicted here. And I would imagine that the reason why this is relevant is because it's proof of a common scheme and plan. And you may recall that in one of our previous updates, we talked about the fact that the shooting of Brandon Boudreaux was challenged very early on when that was included in the case. And the reason why that was allowed in was because it was part of that common scheme and plan. So one of the things that the prosecution is showing is that There's this scheme and plan and things keep happening that are part of it. And I think that Charles's death is one of those things. So in his testimony, Detective Duncan described the process of handling the scene. And he said that first, crime scene technicians took photos of the scene. Next, crime scene detectives looked to see what was of evidentiary value. Then they took photos of that evidence and they seized it. And then also for the duration of the investigation, Charles's body would be considered evidence. Duncan recalled some interesting things about this scene. And if you do want to take a look at what the scene looked like, there are body cam videos that are on YouTube. However, just heads up, you will see a blurred out body in some of them. So just be prepared. Anyways, so the living room had no furniture, but there was mirrors on the wall. And remember, Lori liked to dance and, you know, look at herself. Charles's body was found west of the living room and he had been laying on his back. Charles's shirt was cut so that the medical equipment could be used to confirm his death. And Duncan recalled that he had never been to a crime scene with so little blood. In fact, there wasn't even any blood splatter. It feels so bizarre to me that there was no blood splatter at all. That's just bizarre. Very weird. 
Alex had said that he had given Charles CPR. And again, you can hear that 911 call as well. But there's typically more blood when CPR is done. Again, not a lot of blood. Alex had told law enforcement that he shot Charles in the chest twice while he was standing. However, Charles only had one visible gunshot wound, and it was on the left side of his abdomen. Based on where the entrance and the exit wounds were, Charles was laying on the ground when the second shot was fired. Duncan noted that there was a bullet laying next to Charles's left shoulder, which was also odd. Charles had abrasions on his knees as well. Law enforcement also found blood on a faucet in the home, and a baseboard had a projectile embedded in it. The baseboard was collected for evidence. Alex was brought back in to explain to law enforcement what had happened. Charles's death was being investigated as a homicide, but even if it had been self-defense, law enforcement could have switched it to homicide when they learned more details. And again, things that we already knew were the body cam footage. There is an interview with Alex after the fact, and also when he's on the curb talking about it. And then we learn details of like where Lori was in between the time. And there's just a lot that doesn't add up. And especially the delay in calling 911. None of this makes sense. Yeah, you're right. None of this makes sense. Per dilemma, Lori and Charles were having financial difficulties, and Lori told her that she was the beneficiary of Joseph Ryan's $60,000 life insurance policy. Additionally, the prosecution has said that money was one of Lori's motives and that one of the sources of that money was Charles's $1 million life insurance policy. Now, when we heard from Melanie Gibb, she said that Lori knew before Charles died that Kay was the beneficiary. However, in a text message from Laurie to Chad a week after Charles's death, Laurie said, I just got a letter from the insurance company and I'm not the beneficiary. It's a spear through my heart. Who do you think he changed it to? Brandon or possibly Kay? Chad responded, wow, that's terrible. There is no way to find out. Additionally, Zulema testified that Laurie did not know that she wasn't the beneficiary of Charles's life insurance policy until after his death. And at one point, Lori had told Zulema that she didn't have to work because she was getting about $6,000 in Social Security benefits because of Charles and Joseph's deaths. Evidence from Charles' cell phone, Lori's iCloud account, emails and text messages involving one or more of the inner circle that Amanda talked about earlier were discussed and entered into evidence. We're mostly going to talk about communications that we haven't seen yet that include information that we didn't already know. Now, there were texts from Charles to Lori that said he was going to take JJ back to Texas and that he had Tammy's email address. He also said he was going to see Tammy in Idaho, to which Lori responded, she won't listen to you. She is my friend. We also saw two text messages that were sent to Lori telling her about Tammy's death. One was from Melanie Gibb and the other was from Nicole Earl. Lori acted surprised like it was the first time she was hearing about it in response to each of those messages, which feels very bizarre. I like that she acted surprised throughout the day, too, because that second text I want to say was towards the middle of the day where she had already found out what happened. But anyways, let's move on to some text between Lori and Alex. The text exchange about the Wi-Fi name and password was also brought up, and it was from September 3rd of 2019. We now know the network name was Anti-Layman, and of course the password, as we discussed, was Too Many Kids. This exchange happened just a few days before Tylee was last seen alive too, which is really sad. And again, she was last seen alive on September 8th. We looked up what layman was because we both had no idea. And per the Book of Mormon, layman was a person who chose to do evil instead of good. So interesting. 
There's also an email exchange from someone named Karen Walker from April of 2019 to Chad asking him to come speak at a youth group in Houston, and they ask for an urgent response. He responds that he can come and will talk with Karen later about the flight. Just an FYI, Lori was living in Houston at that time. We did a quick search to see if there was a Karen Walker in Houston, Texas that was connected with the LDS church, and there isn't. So we're all suspecting that that was Lori. One of the other reasons that we believe it was Lori is because also when Zulema was testifying, she said that she was told at one point to text Chad about coming to see her speak somewhere at an event. It was all a ruse to be able to give him an excuse for Tammy to go see Lori. And it was just Zulema having to text to, you know, cover for them. So let's move on to a little bit of Zulema. Zulema and Alex. We already knew that the time between them meeting and getting married was pretty short. Some of the things that we learned about the relationship were that before they were together, Chad started telling Zulema that she was going to get married. And before Alex had moved to Rexburg, they had gone to dinner, watched movies and had some fun talks. So they were getting to know each other. When Alex went to Arizona on Halloween, him and Melanie Pulowski stayed at Zulema's house. And that's the first time that they kissed and held hands. They ended up getting engaged when Zulema went to Rexburg for a second visit on November 7th. She did not see the kids during this visit, nor actually at this visit did she see Chad and Lori too, because Chad and Lori were in Hawaii and they were sending them wedding pictures. So when she was asked about it, she's like, I didn't really communicate with them, but it sounds like Alex was the one that was communicating. Another thing we found interesting is when Alex came to Arizona to visit Zulema, they stopped talking to him. And he said, quote, can you believe they are being such jerks? after how much I helped them, and now they don't want to talk to me? Once Zulema and Alex began dating, Lori and Chad were very adamant that they should get married and that they should move to Rexburg, Idaho. When Zulema declined because she had a job in Arizona and her family, Lori told her not to worry about it because Melanie has enough money for all of them. And that was because Melanie had received a very large divorce settlement. Zulema actually talk to Melanie about this. And this is Melanie Pulowski, by the way, which is Laurie's niece. Uh, so when Zulema talked to Melanie about it, Melanie didn't seem happy about that. And she was upset that Laurie had volunteered her money for everyone's use. On December 11th of 2019, Alex was talking to Chad and Laurie on the phone. They told him about Tammy being exhumed. And this is when he had that conversation about being the fall guy with Zulema. And as a reminder, in that conversation, Zulema pressed Alex for details about Tammy's death, as well as Chad and Lori's whereabouts. And Zulema said that he started acting weird. And then he said, I think I'm being their fall guy. Zulema said, fall guy for what? What have you done that you would be the fall guy for? Alex really wouldn't give her more details. And he said, either I am a man of God or I am not. And the next day, Alex died. Also, as a note, Zulema's attorney, Garrett Smith, was present in court. And as a reminder, in 2019, Zulema and the prosecution in Idaho signed a limited use immunity agreement. So basically, her attorney was in court out of an abundance of caution. That limited use immunity agreement basically means that Idaho cannot charge Zulema based on anything she revealed in her witness statement or anything that they find based on what she said. So say she had mentioned, oh, there was a journal that I had that had more details. They couldn't then pull that journal and say, well, we're not basing it on what you're saying. We're basing it on the journal. Things that also stem from what she said. So they basically can't charge her in relation to what she tells them. And also, unless otherwise specified, 
I'm pretty confident that immunity agreements are not cross-jurisdictional. So this immunity agreement that she has with Idaho might not apply in Arizona for Charles's murder case. Also, the defense did not want Zulema's attorney present, and they said that that was because he wasn't licensed in Idaho. However, Judge Boyce ordered that her attorney could stay, as Zulema's personal attorney, in regard to Arizona matters where he is licensed. Additionally, the prosecution stated that they had just learned that Zulema had a felony drug conviction from 1998, and the defense agreed to not bring up those previous charges. And one of the reasons that generally in a court case that you might bring up someone's previous charges or convictions is because it it will cause the jury to question the veracity of what that person is saying. Yeah, that makes sense. There was also a lot of testimony around the nature of Lori and Chad's relationship, basically that they were very flirty even during their first interaction. And of course, during that time, he had also told her that they were married in previous lives. And it was definitely not a secret that they were together while their spouses were still alive. Per Lori, Chad couldn't get a divorce because he would get penalized, which is very strange. She had how many divorces before? Also, during her testimony, Zulema discussed how Lori had told her that because she and Chad were exalted in their previous life, it didn't matter what they did in this one. Which, again, interesting that he could be penalized for divorcing Tammy then, right? If it didn't matter. Zulema's response to that was, but it does still matter what I do. Additionally, Lori told Zulema that she had asked Charles to go somewhere so that she could host people at her house while there was a preparing a people conference. When they met up at Lori's house afterwards, Zulema recounted feeling like a third wheel because of Chad and Lori, which the whole thing's very strange. I don't know why you'd have someone that lived with you leave when you have multiple bedrooms. I mean, it makes sense why, because her and Chad, but still. When Melanie testified, she said that Lori had three phones and that one of them was just to talk to Chad on. So speaking of Chad, let's move on to some of Lori and Chad's beliefs. Of course, we all know that they believed in past lives. And these past lives, they called them creations. They would tell people about their past lives, and it seemed like this was one of the ways that they drew people in. Originally, Zulema was told that this was Alex's first creation. So there were things that they couldn't discuss in front of him. But then, kind of weird, Chad later tells Alex that he lived many lives and that he's a powerful being and also a great warrior. When Lori, Melanie, Chad, and Zulema met for lunch, Chad told Zulema that he wanted to give her info on her past lives. He was very clear that he did not want Melanie give to hear. And I still wonder about that. I don't know why. He told Zulema that in one of her past lives, she was Lori's daughter and kind of brutal. She was raped and murdered when she was only 14 years old. Also, he continued that Zulema was dismembered by the Lamanites and killed at the same time of her mother, which would have been Lori. Lindsay and I were discussing this. We wonder if he was like recycling past life details among inner circle people, because it seems like there's commonalities between some of them. I go back and forth between wondering whether he just wasn't creative enough to make up other past lives or whether he was like, oof, this will be too much to try to remember all of them. (laughs) So he just used the same one over and over again and told people to keep it a secret from the others. At another time when Zulema and Lori met for lunch in February of 2019, Lori made her a diagram explaining how many worlds there were, how many probations one person has, and how many people are light and dark. Zulema assumed Lori got the information from Chad because he was the one that told her about the light and dark rating. 
the diagram was made on a receipt, so she actually kept it and it was admitted into evidence. Portions of Zulema's journal were also submitted into evidence. And part of that that was included was the first page, which had some illustrations based on Laurie's teachings. In the illustration, there was a diagram that showed multiple creations and worlds that someone could come to. And there were five of them, and each had their own Satan and Savior. The fifth world was the lowest and the darkest. And on the adjacent page, there was a circle that was denoted as limbo. And we're going to talk more about limbo in a few minutes. But before we continue on, discuss more about their beliefs, I do think it's important that we talk about the status that Laurie and Chad have within this community. Because I think that one of the things that I question very often is kind of like, how could somebody believe all of this? Like, why? Like, how could someone convince you that this behavior made sense, was reasonable, was part of like the religion that you already knew about? How does that happen? And I think a lot of that is because Laurie and Chad convinced others that they were translated beings because they would talk to them about communications they had with other highly regarded religious beings. They talked about having visions. And they talked about past lives with such confidence and conviction. And per Zulema, and I would imagine others in this group as well, when someone is getting visitations from what they describe as heavenly beings, it means that that person has a high spiritual standing and they're very righteous and that compared to other people, they are spiritually above them. And a good example of this, I think, is that Chad had told Zulema that in a previous creation, he was the brother of Jesus and that in another, he was the Holy Spirit. And that with that, with Laurie as his chosen partner in this lifetime and previous lifetimes, it meant that she was owed that same kind of reverence and respect. And also, again, right, they talked about her being a translated being. She was described as a goddess, as having other powers. Laurie had said that angels had visited her, including the angel Moroni, and she was a personal witness of Jesus. And Laurie talked about how the more elevated a person, the higher their vibrations were. And Melanie Gibb testified that Laurie had told her that she was vibrating at such a high frequency that her periods began to change, and that she no longer needed to eat to survive. One of the things that we've heard a couple times now was that people with Laurie and Chad didn't realize or it didn't occur to them that people would lie about something as sacred as this. So this the, the notion that all of this was utter bullshit didn't cross their minds because they regarded this information with just such reverence that they're like, who would lie about this? And You know, we've seen it plenty of times that we've talked about, like, that Laurie was very charming. And clearly, Chad had some type of something about him that drew people to him. We'll talk about blessings more in just a moment. But after receiving blessings from Chad, Zulema reported experiencing that she had had visions. And one of these was that she described her vision as seeing herself in a beautiful room with a large table, and that there were people all around the table, and Zulema was one of the only people sitting at the table. The other person sitting was a man at the other end of the table who was very light. This was actually brought up in reference to a text message where she had talked about having visions to chat, so they asked her about it. I know we've talked about it before with Melanie Gibb, but I feel the same way with Zulema. She was totally bought in to all of this, and there's a lot of things she could have done differently that may have 
changed things quite a bit. But anyways, let's talk a little bit more about the blessings. Chad would give blessings to people who attended castings and who were in the inner circle that we discussed earlier. They were typically very specific to the person and were often done individually or in a small group setting. Chad gave Zulema many blessings. It was in one of his blessings to Zulema that he told her that she was going to get married. During this blessing, he told her that it was time to leave Babylon and move to Rexburg and that her sins were forgiven. In one of his blessings, which was over 15 minutes, and it was played in court, by the way, Chad gave a blessing to Alex. When he began, Chad told Alex he was going to open the portals of time. He talked about how Alex has been a warrior in his previous lives, too. But remember, at one point, he said this was his first life, and then he changed it. He also said, quote, you will be known throughout the world for your good heartedness and your ability to save souls throughout the world through portals. You will be able to gather the souls who come unto Christ. I see you as a messenger of the Lord. Your mission will be go among the people and testify as a prophet. As Chad continues, he starts to cry, but continues on. You will know where to be before natural disasters happen. You will be on location to protect key leaders and to preserve them as you gather little children in your arms, saving them from floodwaters. Very intense. We've talked about them before, but I don't think we're ever over discussing portals. Never. Laurie and Chad believe that they could communicate through portals. Laurie told Melanie that Chad had given her instructions on how to actually make that portal and that Laurie's portal was in her closet. Melanie believed that Chad's was in his bedroom, possibly on his bed, but that it was in the spiritual realm. And when Laurie's attorney, Thomas, asked Melanie if she had a portal, Melanie responded, oh, no. Again, another one of the things that we've heard of a lot is the idea of someone being dark versus light. And some of the information that we really got more detail on was this dark versus light paradigm and belief system with people. So, Per Melanie, the first person Laurie ever described as dark to her was Charles. Laurie also told Melanie Gibb that the following people were also dark. Brandon Boudreaux, another one of Laurie's brothers, Adam Cox, Laurie's father, Tylee, Kay, JJ, the police, as well as some other people that they had known. Charles and Brandon were purposefully excluded from conversations about beliefs around dark and light people. When we heard from Brandon Boudreaux, We heard that he was not allowed to engage in his now ex-wife's new spiritual fireside chats that she started having. And his ex-wife is Melanie Pulowski. And we knew that she was going to these, becoming more and more dialed into this belief structure. But it's interesting to see it just so plain that Charles and Brandon were purposefully excluded so that they didn't know much more. So per Melanie Gibb, people who were light signed a contract with the Savior before they came to earth. And alternatively, those who were dark signed a contract with Satan. She describes that people can change into darker light throughout their life. And I'm not sure how a person can change into light if they're already dark. And we'll talk about why in a second. But a person who is light can become dark if they become a zombie. Yeah, I've never heard anyone going from dark to light, really, right? So let's talk a little bit about zombies, not the typical zombie, Lori and Chad's version of a zombie. From the testimony that we've heard over the last couple days, we have learned some more interesting details about zombies. What we previously knew was that zombies were people who had been possessed by evil spirits. So let's get into what we learned from Zulema first. 
When a person dies, their soul goes to limbo before their next creation. There's a two-minute window after a person's soul leaves their body that a demon or an evil dark spirit could enter the body and possess the vessel. If a demon or evil dark spirit is cast out, then there's another two-minute period where another demon or evil spirit could enter the vessel again. This is why there must be additional steps taken after a casting so that other demons or dark evil spirits cannot enter the vessel. It wasn't until weeks after Lori started talking about light and dark that Lori began using the term zombies. Thomas asked Melanie, so Melanie Gibb, whether she thought that when someone was described as a zombie, whether it meant that the person who was a zombie would die. And per Melanie, she said something along the lines of, no, it was a bizarre teaching. And that Lori even thought it was bizarre, too, in the context to how it was explained to her by Chad. So we had heard that Lori and her friends had been praying for Charles, right, to try to get rid of the evil spirits that were inside of him. That's not really something new that we had heard. But I feel like one of the things that we did really hear that was new-ish was it being described as castings, which when I think casting, I think like casting a spell. But both Zulema and Melanie described castings like intense prayers. Um, Melanie Gibb was even asked by Laurie's counsel whether it seemed like witchcraft. And she said, no, it didn't really feel like that. And they talked about that it was really just that it was prayer, like it seemed like more intentional prayers. But the purpose of casting was to convince the demon or dark spirit to leave a person's body. And the first time a group got together to do castings was in March 2019, and they met at Zulema's house. The group was Nicole, Christina, Serena, Melanie Gibb, Lori, and Zulema. Lori created that same diagram that she had shown Zulema on a whiteboard and then gave everyone who was there a sticky note with information about their prior lives. Lori told the women there that they had to cast a demon named Ned out of Charles. And just as an interesting note, everyone who was there knew that Lori and Charles were separated at the time. Additionally, Lori told Zulema that she had received instructions from angels about how to cast demons out. They were told to hold hands, and Lori assigned each of them roles in the casting. And also generally, they were kind of given roles in how they were to proceed with all of this belief structure. But we are, we'll talk more about that as we continue. But Zulema was told that her role would be to handle the elements and she was asked to use fire. Melanie Gibb was considered to be a gatherer, which was a person who brought those who were awake together. And being awake meant that you actually saw what was happening in the world. Lori was to finish it by doing a sealing of the casting, and photos from that night were admitted. At the end of the casting, Lori called Chad to see if it worked, and he said, yeah, but then Charles got possessed by another even more powerful demon. Isn't that convenient? So when we talk about casting, there are particular steps that are taken, and Zulema wrote these down and discussed them during her testimony. So the first was that they would say order of the priesthood as part of a prayer. That step was order of the priesthood. The second step was dispel or encapsulate. And Zulema said she wasn't quite sure what it meant now, but she remembered at the time that it made sense. Third was to cast out, and that was ordering the demon or spirit to leave the body. And they didn't say there was a number four 
or even mention there being a blank. Um, they just moved straight to the fifth one, which was burn. And this was to make sure that another demon or evil spirit could not come into the body within that literal two minute window. And when you hear burn, I'm sure you're immediately thinking, that's what they did to Tylee's body. However, per Zulema, this did not mean literally burn. Everything that they did during the casting was done spiritually and verbally. So they would be verbally describing burning a body or the area around it. She all, and like, again, the defense counsel even said like, and you mean that this was not physical burning the body? And she confirmed, no, this is not physical burning the body. The next step was escorted, and Lori and Chad said the demon would be escorted out of the body. The next step was sealed. This meant that that demon was sealed from being able to come back to Earth and bother anyone else. And then there was the spell, which was to banish that spirit verbally. Some other words that they used to describe this as expel, reject, eject, purge, evict, and banish. There was a figure that was also drawn on that page, but Zulma couldn't remember what that was. There was also a note written under down at the bottom that said cast out as the goal of what they were doing. And then next to it said, forced to leave by official ejection, take away the right of being there, drive out as an excommunicated and blasted. And then it said Matthew 8.16, which is a New Testament. And part of this particular scripture talks about casting out demons. Then they cite Matthew 10.1, which said it gave them the power to cast out spirits. When Zulema describes the philosophies of how to do casting, she says that what she was taught and what they explained to her was a mixture of scripture and then philosophies from Laurie and Chad. So, for example, the scripture said that you could be possessed by an evil spirit and it could be cast out. But Laurie and Chad were the ones who had the deets on how to actually cast it out. There was also other ways of making sure that another demon or evil spirit couldn't inhabit that body within that two-minute period. And those were things like binding or using water to keep the evil or spirit from reentering. But again, those were verbal descriptions. It wasn't meant to be literal. I thought it was interesting that she made it a point to say that all of that was done spiritually and not physically. But then just thinking of how like the kids' bodies were found... It doesn't seem like they just did it spiritually. So let's talk a little bit more about some of the castings. There were more castings for Charles and for Brandon Boudreaux as well. At a subsequent casting for Charles, Lori jokes that if the casting doesn't work, she could just drug Charles with some prescription pills, which is terrifying. Like either way, she was going to do something horrible to him. Charles would go on to be possessed by another demon named Garrick or Garrick, which was cast out. Then finally, he was possessed by a, quote, expert-level demon named Hiplos. It was around this time that Charles, then Lori, moved to Texas, and Lori began conducting castings via conference calls. According to what Lori told Zulema, Charles moved to Texas because there were doctors to help people who were possessed by demons and keep their bodies alive. I just feel like out of every state, Texas would probably not have that if that was a thing, you know? Lori said that the reason that she moved to Texas was to get her finances straight. In Melanie Gibbs' testimony, she said if Tammy was ever considered dark, it would have been right before she died. However, on the night Tammy was shot at, they did a casting to try to get rid of a demon that they called Viola. Lori got a call and she was very angry, also described as scary angry, and using terms like idiot and moron. So the night that Tammy was attempted to be shot at, but obviously didn't get shot. After this call, she told Zulema, quote, idiot can't do anything right by himself. So like, there was a connection there. 
Melanie believed she had attended a casting for Brandon Boudreaux. Melanie said that Brandon was considered a, quote, very high dark, and that he had been part of Hitler's group. And like, what the literal fuck? Just anyone in their way is dark and needs to be gotten rid of. And then just like their stories just get more out there, I guess. I mean, it's hard to say that because all of this is out there, but it just seemed like it consistently got worse. Interestingly, what we were noticing is castings were never done for JJ or Tylee. And I'm wondering if it's because if she would have brought that up for children, I wonder if that's when some of the group would have been like, "Mm, never mind. I would actually think the opposite. I would imagine that if you were one of these people who was dialed into this belief structure and you truly thought that Lori and Chad believed it too, why wouldn't you want to use this process to make sure that demons couldn't be in children's bodies? from what Zulema was saying, that they weren't really hurting people because that person was already gone. And that even still, they were doing like verbal descriptions of violence, not actual violence. So even if you thought that there was a possessed child in the mix, that child was alive in there somewhere, I would imagine it would be preferable to them being possessed by a demon. And to me, this is where I'm like, oh, you clearly don't believe this. Because if you did, you would have done this for your own children. Yeah, maybe. I think she was bought into the whole thing because it made her feel special. But maybe some things just weren't as convenient. I don't know. But anyways, Lori told Zulema that Chad told her to move to Rexburg because it was going to be a refuge when other countries invaded the US. Again, I don't know why they choose Rexburg for that. But maybe because no one would think of it. I don't know. Also, that soldiers and warriors would defend Rexburg and the area had been prepared as a place of safety. Again, how fucking convenient, Chad, right? Like, I don't feel like moving. I'll just have everyone move here. So weird. That's just bizarre. So now let's talk about JJ and Tylee. One of the things that we've heard about over and over is people talking about how much of an amazing mother that Laurie was and that she was so focused on her children And when Melanie testified, she said that as time went on, Laurie wasn't as focused on JJ as she once was, and that even at one point, she had been considering giving JJ back to Kay. Additionally, when Melanie asked Alex what had happened to JJ, he said, quote, you don't want to know. We've talked about how Tylee was considered dark, but apparently Laurie had told Melanie, that Chad had told her, that Tylee had been a zombie since she was 12 or 13, but that they hadn't realized until Tylee was 16 that she was a zombie. Additionally, apparently Tylee wasn't a big fan of Melanie. Blake asked Melanie whether Tylee's behavior was out of the ordinary, and Melanie responds that Tylee was disrespectful and ornery, but not more so than that type of teenager, which I thought was interesting because I don't think I've ever heard anything about her being anything less than just lovely, polite, and amazing with JJ. And this last one really hit me because this should have been a red flag to literally everyone, but Lori told Zulema that JJ would have a very short life. Then, in August of 2019, Chad repeated the same and added that JJ would be reborn as Colby's child. Per Zulema, Alex believed this would be true. She always says, well, Alex believed that to be true. And it's like, well, you did too. Like, you were in on this. And then also, reborn as Colby's child? That's very, very weird, right? But either way, it's just ridiculous. And anyone that would have heard that, I feel like, should have said something. Because that's really scary to say, like, a little boy is going to have a very short life. So, of course, we went to see when 
were Colby's children born. And the first was in January of 2019. And the second was in 2022. So moving on, Zulema went and stayed with Alex in Rexburg in September. She says that she never saw Tylee, and she even asked Lori where she was. And her response was, she had to be freed. Yikes. When she asked some follow-up questions, like what that meant, Lori lifted her hand, put it up to Zulema's face, and said, quote, don't ask. Again, I say this a lot, I just don't understand how many adults were in this and just let it all happen, especially with kids. And I say that too, because Zulema also has children. It's just, it's bizarre. It's awful and horrible in every way. None of this makes sense. Zulema was also aware that Lori had mentioned Tylee being possessed by a demon named Hillary, and JJ was being attacked by demons. Again, just hurts my heart. Another thing that we learned in the last couple days is that Lori said that JJ's dog had also had demons, like it was easier to get through the dog. And so that's why she sold Bailey after Charles died. And we've discussed this a little bit before, but just so everyone knows, I reached out to the trainer back in 2020 just to see where Bailey ended up because I was like, I just hope he got out and was safe. And he let me know that Bailey is in a new home and is a service dog for another child. He told me both Bailey and the child are doing fantastic as a team, and Bailey is loving his new family. So I bring that up only because this is all tragic, right? Like there's only bad after bad after bad. I just wanted to lighten it up just a bit. During Zulema's stay in Rexburg, she actually did see JJ, and she said something like he was playing with a friend, asked for snacks, things like that. After Lori and Chad got married, they had a layover in Phoenix. Zulema then asked where JJ was, because, you know, they're in Hawaii and there's no kid. And her response was that JJ was with Kay. Melanie Gibb called Zulema after she was told to lie for Chad and Lori about where JJ was, and she seemed to be very upset. And then that's where she said that she felt like they were doing something wrong. Zulema said Melanie's call was, quote, utter confusion, and that she was also distraught knowing how much trust that she had in these two. She went and asked Alex, quote, how can Kay be looking for JJ when JJ is supposed to be with her? And then Alex's response was, I know, and didn't really answer her, which is heartbreaking, right? Like, I just feel like I would have not stopped until I got answers, which again, I don't I don't know them. I don't know their relationship. But for me, I would have been like, I will get answers today. And with that being said, though, I kind of think maybe she did, you know, like maybe she had some of the answers. And I think I've said it in other episodes, she's just trying to save herself now. Same with Melanie Gibb. I feel like when they knew that they were being lumped like into all of this, that's when they were like, oh, then we found out bad things were happening. And that's when we told, you know, I don't know. I hate it. I definitely agree that there has to be a part of Melanie and Zulema who realize that they're, they are being lumped in with Laurie and Chad and Alex and what they've done, allegedly have done. But I also think that they really did believe all of this batshit crazy stuff. The way that they talk about it and the detail in which they talk about it and the diagrams and the journal entries and all the steps, like it doesn't seem as though they were just placating a friend to me. It seemed like they really had bought into these philosophies. I'm not saying that makes it right or that doesn't make them culpable. I think it just means that they also were brainwashed because I do think that a lot of people were brainwashed by Chad and Lori. It's also pretty clear 
that Melanie and Zulema do not regard Lori as they once did. When Zulema was testifying, Thomas asked her whether her views of light work and casting have changed. And Zulema said, There are two children that have died and a mother of five who died. I will consider that evil. Yes, sir. And then she went on to say that she thought that the work that Chad and Laurie did was a direct tie to the children and spouse who died. And it's pretty damning. It was it was interesting to see. It was also interesting that during the trial, after Melanie Gibb testified, Laurie's counsel tried to have all of Melanie Gibb's testimony thrown out. And when the judge, when Judge Boyce was like, so you basically want the jurors to forget everything they just heard, which is impossible. Thomas responded, well, I brought this up before she testified and you denied my motion. So I brought it up again. And I would be really surprised if this wasn't raised on appeal. So that wraps up all of our updates that we have for now. Court is not in session on Monday, April 17th. So the trial will resume on the 18th, which is Tuesday morning. We will continue to have updates on our social media feeds. What we have been doing is we've been reading everything that went on and when we can listening to as well. And then giving a summary because sometimes there's hours and hours worth of content. And so this is just here is what happened today in a very succinct way. And then as we have time and we hear big things, we will occasionally release episodes. As a reminder, on our website, we also have a very detailed timeline, as well as a list of all of the people involved with the case. There's also a section on our website where you can submit case questions. So if there's something that you're like, I don't understand what they're doing it this way, you can submit it there. You can also send us a direct message on any social media platform. If you typically listen to True Creeps and you don't only listen to the Vallow episodes, just as a note, we will be having shorter episodes while the trial is going on because we're doing both. We want to make sure that we're releasing quality content that we have time to research and time to discuss. And we also sometimes have lives outside of the podcast as well. Sometimes. (laughs) So that wraps it up. Yeah. Well, I hope everyone has a great rest of your week. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. And as always, a special thank you to our patrons who support us via Patreon. Please see the link in our show notes to learn more about how you, yes, you, can begin to haunt the dump, guard vortexes, or even become a scorching Sasquatch. Also in our show notes, you can find the link to our website, more information on our sources, our social media handles, and our merch store. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps and or ghosts. I beg of you. (laughs) 